Morning, everybody. <clears throat> About three weeks ago, um, during worship, we started singing this particular song. And I couldn't sing the words. And I stood over there watching Chris Page drumming away through streams of tears. Most of you know that I'm a worship leader. And I've always loved music, always listened to music, always been impacted by, I suppose, some powerful hymns in the past. I grew up in the Methodist church, so choruses and stuff didn't really exist way back then. But the thing that struck me that morning was the fact that John said, are we excited about the good news? And the response was about as deadpan as it is now. Which surprised me and confused me, because I thought to myself, have they actually heard what he said, or is it too late on in the afternoon and they're thinking about what's in the oven when they get home, ready for Sunday lunch? <coughs> the Wondrous Cross is good news. It's fantastic news. It's the best news ever. I know one of those dances that the young people do I remember Noah standing up and saying, best news ever! It is about that. It's about the fact that we carry within us the best news ever. And as Daniel's just said then about the book, we're not particularly good at getting excited about stuff. So this morning, I felt to try and infuse you again into what the good news actually is. There is some confusion, I suppose, in Christendom about exactly what a Christian is. We try and sort of tiptoe away from it and sort of say, well, we don't want to say we're a Christian because that has with it a load of baggage that's been dragged in and abused by the press and all that sort of stuff. So we're, we're followers of Jesus. But what does that actually mean for you, being a follower of Jesus? Do you think that's good news? Do you wake up in the morning and think to yourself, it's a fantastic news that I am loved by God? Or does it take you to go most of the day until something happens and you think, oh, oh, it's fantastic news that I'm loved by God? Because surely his love should be all-consuming for us. We should smell like him. We should look like him. When people come into contact with us, they should know there's something different about us. Because otherwise, what's the point? He's deposited something in each of us that is attractive. A power that can transform. A power that can start a conversation and completely take on a completely different tangent that he's got in his agenda. What incredibly powerful words this hymn contains. And amongst many scholars, they actually say it's the best hymn that's ever been written in the English language. It was written by this wonderful guy called Isaac Watts. And way back then... Most of the stuff that they sort of sang in churches was fairly dull and boring, we would have called it. 
Look at these wonderful, wonderful words. Imagine that. Ye monsters of the bubbling deep, your master's praises spout. Up from the sands, ye codlings peep and wag your tails about. (laughs) Who's up for that next Sunday morning? And the story behind Isaac Watts, so it said, is that he was a bit knocked off about this sort of stuff at church. He complained to his father about the slow and monotonous way that the Christians sang in the English-speaking churches. So at that time, how it came about, the priest sang out a line, the congregation sang back the same line. And so it went on, ebbing and flowing, ebbing and flowing to complete and utter boredom. And this young lad thought to himself, I can't stand this anymore. Dad, do I really have to go and go listen to this dirge? And his dad said to him that day, if you can do any better, why don't you go and write something better? And he did. And in fact, he wrote a different hymn for the church for every Sunday for the next year. And it's said by his death that he'd written over 600 hymns. This one man completely changed a system. Why? Because he was dissatisfied with what was there. And in his father's wisdom, I'm sure his father was really wise at the time, probably trying to see him to go, just be quiet. But his dad released him to do something which completely changed his life. He was an incredibly intelligent young man, spoke multiple languages, and was therefore able to translate a lot of the stuff that he'd written into multiple different languages as well. Growing up in the Methodist church, some of those hymns were contained in this wonderful book, When I used to sit in the pews at my church, or the seats as we had, I used to try and find a book that wasn't falling apart. Because the worst thing you had when you picked up these books, they were so old and crispy papered, but the numbers on the, on the board, you used to have to look what's coming up next. Oh my goodness, it's this one. At least now we don't even tell you what's coming up. You have to wait for it. But back then, you had all the numbers on a board. And you can go through there and thinking, that's a rubbish one. That's a, oh, that one's all right, I'll wait for this one. And then something tremendous happened. This book arrived. (laughs) Who remembers the release of this book? I remember it really well because a quarter of our church left. (laughs) We're not singing those sorts of songs. Those are from the devil. Those are the conversations that were going around. There was a massive big uproar in Daventry Methodist Church because a new book had come out. And this book had come out in preparation for something called Mission England. Who remembers that? Way back, 1984, the great Billy Graham, who is now partying. I'm not going to cry today. (laughs) 
What a guy. What a guy. He's standing up there right now. And how many people are going to walk through those gates and say, there's the man that opened the door to me. That opened the door to me knowing about this amazing guy called Jesus. There'll be tens of thousands of people. I hope his crown is massive. I was in that ground that day. Way back, Aston Villa. Before the entrance of Dr. Graham himself. The reason that you have come, some of you have come, seeking something you've never had before. Fulfillment in your life. A purpose and a meaning for your life. Perhaps an answer to tension within the home. Perhaps an answer to the empty feeling that you have and the depressed feeling that you have through perhaps unemployment or some other problem or perhaps a health problem, whatever it may be. Others have come here out of curiosity. Many people came to Jesus out of curiosity and stayed to have their lives permanently changed. As Dr. Graham... I was in that crowd that day. It took me a while to find it on YouTube. But I thought, I wonder how many people that went down on that football pitch afterwards and gave their lives to Jesus are still in the race. There was about 35,000 people that day. And I was there with my mum. She taken me along. And I said, Mum, I'm going to the front. I, I just have to. And she goes, am I going to find you afterwards? <laughs> I said, Mum, I don't care. I've heard something that needs a response. I've heard something today that needed a response from me. And I said, I will find you. It reminded me of that story of Mary and Joseph when they lost Jesus. And he goes, why do you spend that time worrying? Didn't you realise I'd be in the house of my father? I knew that day that the stories that I'd heard as a child, those wonderful little storybooks with lovely pictures and junior church and everything, Billy Graham opened up. God softened my heart that day. As he does, countless times. So for some of you in this room today, it might be the day where he softens your heart enough to hear him. And hear his call. And for, it, for the first time, maybe ever, to actually make some sense. I remember this song playing. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And poor content on all my pride. Something changed that day. God began a work in me which is continuing up to this day and will continue for the rest of my life. You see, sometimes we want to skip over the cross bit and just get to the resurrection. Yes, that's fantastic, but it's interesting how what's his first inclination is to take us to the cross. Go look at it. Crucifixion was brutal. Absolutely horrifically brutal. 
probably the most painful way of dying at the time. For most people at the time, they didn't know that was coming. They got caught as criminals, then they knew. They knew their fate. But for Jesus, he knew. He knew right from the outset what was planned for him. And the amazing stuff is, he still chose to do it. We were chatting around, a few of us guys get together every couple of weeks. I was talking to Chris at the time over the table about The Passion of Christ. Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson film. Which is proper brutal. Makes your stomach churn, makes you want to look away. Lots of people complained about it, saying it was too brutal. That's what crucifixion was like. The scourging that Jesus got, the beating that he got, was horrific. And what kept him going through all of that process was thinking about you. It was thinking about you. He had you in mind. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. Galatians 6.14 That's what I want my boast to be. I'm nothing without him. Everything that I do, create, will fade away. But he's constant. Why? Because he dwells in me now. He dwells in me. What's it to be prideful? Pride says, I am the master of my own fate. I can run my own life. I can call my own shots. I can go it alone. That's what the world will teach us. That's what the world tries to teach us, how to operate, how to be independent. You deserve to be independent. You deserve to be able to do all of these things. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. I'd put a bracket in between after the I am and I'd say, through him. It's always got to be through him. Self-sufficiency. Self-delusion. You can't go it alone. You do need guidance in running your life. You can't always rely on yourself. You can try. Many people do. But still have that emptiness that's left. For some people, when they meet Jesus, they recognise how deluded they were in the first place. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. 
Did e'er such love and sorrow meet all thorns compose a richer crown? Jesus took on board everything and he chose to come. He took on board your sin. Every bit of it. Didn't miss any bits out. Nothing you've done, nothing you've messed up on, wasn't taken care of. That moment in history was so, in, so significant, it's unreal. God's outside time, isn't he? And therefore Jesus was able to go from the beginning of time to the end of time and scoop it all up. Scoop it all up. See, that's, this, this is Jane's bit. This is Jacob's bit. This is Dawn's bit. This is Elspeth's bit. This is Tia's bit. And Beck's bit. And Lynn's bit. This is Chrissy's bit and James's bit. And Phil's bit. And Steve's bit. And Gary's bit. Sucked it all into himself. And hung up on that cross with two raging pains going through him. One, the physical pain. That was one part. But you know the bit I think that hurt him more? Separation from his father. The bit where God turned his back on him. That I can't look at you. Because you are Gary, and Dawn, and Jacob, etc., 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 the filth and the stench of that day. Hmm. Pretty, isn't it? Always makes me smile in the Alpha course when they talk about the fact that we've taken a, a symbol of death, an execution, and we dangle it round our neck and make it in pretty materials. So we can look at that and think, oh, that's pretty. Some of you might be wearing one this morning. Some of you might say, oh, well, it's, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that, that, that I'm his. So at 12 years old, I'd heard Billy Graham. My family used to go away to something called Spring Harvest. I'm sure some of you have been in this room to Spring Harvest. I remember one particular year. Yeah, I was sort of going on with God. I knew him, I'd given my life to him, gone to Spring Harvest this particular year. I used to love Spring Harvest because in my church we had very few youth, very few indeed, there was about six of us. And so going to Spring Harvest meant there was like 2,000 young people. And I thought, I'm not a weirdo after all, there are more people like me. So I used to really, really enjoy the time. But there was one session there where worship stopped quite abruptly the drummer just stopped playing and he got off the drum kit and he came and sat at the front of the stage and he talked about the cross like I never heard it talked about before in my life he took all the pretty bits away he took it all away 
And I remember him sort of saying at the end of it, and he had the room in absolute, you could have heard a pin drop that day. And he took us through what Jesus had gone through. That it wasn't a comfortable, nicely planed piece of wood. It was rough. His back was already torn to shreds anyway from the flogging that he already had. The nails weren't particularly pleasant. They weren't like nice and sharp. I worry when a needle comes near me for an injection. They were rough pieces of metal. And he went up there and the bit that got me on the whole other thing that that guy bought that day was the fact that he said, and Jesus looks you in the face and says, I'm doing it for you. <coughs> doing it for you. I've taken your beating. I've taken the wrath of my father. I've taken it all on board for you because I love you. My father loves you. And I want to remove this separation. The reason I'm going through some of this stuff is there's conversations to be had with people that you know that don't know about him. They don't know him. We can sit here all smug and think, we're going to heaven. My life is hid with Christ on high. We're there. I know the stuff. But the only reason I know it is because some guy told me. It takes somebody to tell somebody. Don't avoid the awkward conversation. Give an account for your faith. Talk about this wonderful guy called Jesus that did it for your friend as much as he did it for you. That's the image. That's the image. It's not a pretty blue-eyed Jesus with long flowing blonde hair. It's a busted up human being's body which contained all of God. For you. Easy to forget. It's a younger model. <laughs> 2005, doesn't time fly? There's certain key moments in my life, and this is one of them. When they said they were going to put on double cross, I said, I want to be Jesus. Didn't know why, just knew that I had to. Went for the auditions, got the part of Jesus. For those that don't know, Double Cross, the musical written by our own Dave Simmons. Stand up, Dave. If you haven't watched it, do. It's a few years old now, so the, our quality of videoing and stuff was way back then. But it's improved. And I look at the goodness of God and the resources that he's placed around us, and the people and the quality of people he's placed around us, 
And I think how he's moved us on. This, this production involves so many different people. It was fun. It was hard work. It's basically a story of one of the criminals that hung alongside Jesus that day on the cross. A guy called Zach. It's played by a guy called Tambi. Many of you know Tambi. And Zach was a, was a criminal. And he had a big chip on his shoulder. And he blamed God for everything. And there's a clip we're going to play you, which is nearer the end of the production. And it's with Zach, and he's in a prison cell. He knows his fate. He knows he's getting crucified. And he shouts and he rants at God. And the contrast moment is Jesus standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's calling out to his father and he's saying, if there's another way, if there's another way, but your will and not mine. It's a pity the Lord their God can't do anything to save you. Yes, it's a pity, isn't it, God? Where are you now that I need you? <coughs> Where have you ever been? Where were you when my parents locked me up in that cupboard, eh? Where were you then? You want to know something? I don't believe. I don't believe in you, you stinking God. What? Can I believe? Why should I believe? What have you ever done for me anyways, huh? All right, come on, man. Come on down and show yourself to me. Who could even be bothered to listen, huh? God! God! upon your values and your laws 
I struggle to sing that in every performance. Why? Because I think God gave me a glimpse in looking at Tambi broken and distraught on the floor. Every time I looked at him, I saw Jesus looking at me. And that heartbreak Some of you sitting in here this morning, you may be Zach. You may be one of those that just hates God right now. Because of your circumstances, because of your upbringing, because of what's happened to you. God's saying he's heard you. He's heard you. He hears the cry of our hearts. He hears the cry of our hearts. He's heard you. In the darkness, in the isolation, in the loneliness, he's heard you. He's heard you. And he says, I'm doing it for you. With a whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, so love so amazing, so divine, divides my soul, my life, my all. The amazing thing is, we have a choice. Everyone has a choice. Every human being has a choice. To either see Jesus for who he was or not. He's done it for every single human being. He didn't leave anybody out. But he then says, you got a choice. For many people sitting in this room, we've all made a choice at some point. For me, way back then in Aston Villa football ground, I made a choice about letting Jesus be Lord of my life. That's what it's about. God's already said he's Lord of all. That's a declaration from God. That can't be changed. That's what is. He's given Jesus that authority. So he is already Lord. But it's for us to say, be Lord of my life. I choose, I choose, I choose you. Like you chose me, I choose you. And in that moment, something <laughs> miraculously happens. It changes from the inside out. It completely transforms you. Because your life doesn't become about you anymore, it becomes about him. It's good news. It's good news. Daniel was trying to encourage us this morning to get a little bit excited. We're terrible at it. We are terrible, terrible, terribly at it. We need to improve. It says the angels party in heaven 
when one of us makes those choices. Do you think they party like we do? I hope not. Seriously. The angelic realm are waiting to party every time one of us chooses him. Every single time one of us chooses him, they party. They had a party for me. They've had a party for you. So what does it mean for you today? If you don't know him, what does it mean for you? Are you ready to make him Lord of your life this morning? It's nothing that I do. I can only communicate. And say, this is what Jesus did for you. I do that in obedience to God. So the next time you have that thought in your mind of, do I have this conversation with this person or not? What's God saying? Do what he's given you to do. Have you wandered away from him? I believe the word he said over your life today, it's finished, meant it's finished. The wandering away was taken care of at that moment at Calvary. Is it time to come back to him? Is it time to come back and kneel before the king? He said, I'm back. I've wandered but I've come back. I want to be pursuing you again. Have you forgotten just how good this news is? If you have, the deposit from his Holy Spirit is here today to relight your fire. Such a simple hymn, but such powerful, powerful words. The invitation is there for you. What's your response going to be this morning?
You may not have one. You may not think you're in any of those three camps, and that's okay. I want to give you the opportunity. If you want to accept Jesus as Lord of your life today, the opportunity is here. If you want to come back to the cross because you've wandered off, opportunities here. If you want to be reignited, re-empowered to go and share the good news, the opportunities here.